Let's pray together. Um, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for the life that you have given each and every one of us today, Lord, and for the breath in our lungs. Pray, Lord, that we would um, learn more of your gospel today, that we would learn more from your holy scriptures, uh, and Lord, that you would uh, continue to walk with us and transform us um, into your uh, beloved children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been in Acts for a long time now, right? The whole school year. And we've seen the early church born. Uh, what we think of as church today looks differently than it did then, but that was the roots of it. That's why we have churches today. And we've seen, we've followed these apostles as their journeys have taken them to many different places. Um, they were certainly people on a mission. I think there's no argument against that. In these places, these apostles have consistently relied on God's power to sustain them. It's not their own power, and it's not their own effort, and they know that. They seem to have a very comprehensive understanding of the Holy Spirit. And they agree with Jesus that the Holy Spirit is good. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, a comforter, a friend, an empowerment, particularly an empowerment for them with all of the training that many of these apostles lacked to do such a big thing. And this is something from God that even allows the powerful miracles of God to flow through them, the apostles. They get to be part of the same miracles, the same uh, mind-blowing work that Jesus was a part of when he was there walking and speaking and on mission as well. And one of the things that we continue to try and communicate to you with this series is that God still works this way. The Holy Spirit is still very much alive and real and wanting to influence and lead and guide and fill and direct our lives as the church, as followers of Jesus. There's no biblical reason to assume that God has phased out his work of the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, the church only exists today because the Holy Spirit is still working. Doing anything from enabling salvation to healing the sick, to providing an incredible sense of peace in the broken world that we live in. So all of these things that we read about Peter and Paul and Silas and these other apostles doing, these are things that humans, we, us, as the body of Christ, we are all able to do them as well, as followers of Jesus, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So as we jump into our Acts text today, I want you to do something. I want you to remember this truth of the Holy Spirit, that God is still working. And I want you to picture yourself in the story. Um, it's easy to read these things as a historical document, and they are. They're more than that, I believe, because um, God's Spirit works in and through these pages of the Scriptures. But picture yourself in the story. Picture what God can do through you and through us if we are open to the awakening of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's dig into our text today. We're in Acts 17 today, and uh, Paul and Silas and his companions, they, they're continuing their missional journey throughout the region. So when Paul and his companions had passed through, you know, she did way better with these words than I am, um, amph amphiphobes, I've, I've been really been struggling, struggling with these Greek things lately. Oh, so this companions passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, 
where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, so three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. I'll stop there for now. So Paul and, and his companions, they spend a few weeks with the Jews in the synagogues. Um, that seems like a reasonable place for people that believe in God to be on the Sabbath, right? Now they're reasoning with them. How are they able to reason with them? The Jews there obviously have a high value of the scriptures. They believe that the Old Testament is God's word to them, the same Old Testament that we have today. So the people there hearing God's word and studying God's word, they believe it to be God's word, they believe it to be truth, and they have a high view of it, they have a high value of it. I think of a time earlier in college when um, I was having some serious conversations about faith and belief uh, with a friend there, and the value of scriptures came up, right? And in this conversation, I was really taken aback. I, I had assumed that this person, who was also raised in a Lutheran church like me, would have the same understanding that the scriptures were the word of God. They were inspired or even inerrant, that they would be a very much valuable for the life of a Christian. I thought this person had a high view of the Bible. I believed, as Paul writes at that time, and I still do, um, that all scripture is God-breathed and that it's useful. That everything we have in the Bible is there because God wanted it to be there. Because if God is big enough to save my sins, to save us from our sins, he's big enough to get some words on the pages to say what he wants them to say, right? And it became clear to me in this conversation all those years ago that, um, that there are many, including this person, who call themselves a Christian who do not have a high view of the scriptures. And that's troublesome in the church today. And that's why we see so many fractures around biblical scriptural issues in churches throughout, really throughout history, but they're still going on today. There seem to be parts of scriptures that people know and agree with and many other parts that they either don't know or they dismiss as irrelevant or not for this time or not representatives of their feelings about God and what they have already decided is truth. And there's some pitfalls there. That might be a whole different class or sermon for you. But in those years, I learned something valuable, and I've taken this with me. Um, evangelism is often not always about using Bible verses to convince somebody of the gospel when they don't believe the Bible is actually true, or God's word. If you didn't think a document was trustworthy or important, you probably wouldn't like any arguments that were made based on that document, right? Right? Now, proclaiming the gospel is important. I believe when we do that, and even when, if we were to go on the streets and read from the Bible, as many missionaries, as many evangelists have done in the past, I believe sometimes that's going to return with fruit. Because there's power in the word of God that goes far beyond what we bring to the table, right? So proclaiming the gospel is important, and sharing our story of Jesus' love and impact on our lives is important. But often evangelism is more about living and showing Christ's love and compassion and truth and carrying ourselves unashamedly as children of God rather than as children of the world. 
So there's, there's an example, there's an evangelism we do through our life and our choices and our actions and through the love that we display that is not of this world because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And a lot of times, that needs to take place, that relational uh, bond needs to be formed with somebody before they care what the Bible says or even care what we think about the Bible. So knowing scriptures is important and valuable, and so is building relationships and living out the gospel with our lives as to build trust and to build bridges with those who are far from God. So um, there's some things going on here in Acts. That's our cultural climate I just kind of explained for you. Uh, there's a lot of people, even in the church, that don't believe in a high view of the scriptures. They, they wouldn't accept reason that you brought to the table that was based on scriptures alone. But in our text here, it's a little different, right? Paul knew the text well. He knew the Old Testament well. And the people in the synagogue believed it was also God's word and trustworthy. And Paul could use the scriptures to reason since they also used it to reason reason and cherished it as well. So Paul's goal here is to convince them not of the value of the Old Testament, that's assumed in this conversation, but how Jesus fits into every single prophecy that was made concerning the coming Messiah, the Holy One from God. And Jesus fulfills them. And Jesus isn't just, fulfill, or he isn't just following the law, he's fulfilling the law. This is Paul's argument. So Paul proclaims to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's a bold thing to say for people that have been waiting for centuries to find this Holy One sent from God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? Uh, the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation prophesied in the Hebrew Bible or in the Old Testament. That's your textbook definition, your Google definition, but Paul's argument is one that Jesus is this one, this one person that the Jews have been waiting for for centuries. Now the Hebrew root word for Messiah literally means anointed or anointed with oil. And that, that word doesn't necessarily assume that God is in the flesh. There's a lot of different ideas they had about what the Messiah would be, but they were certainly looking for one. They were looking for someone to save them, to restore what they knew from old of God's favor in their midst. They wanted an anointed one from God to bring them back together and restore Israel. Jesus doesn't turn out to be exactly what they're looking for, but he turns out to be far more than what they were looking for as well. He's the son of God in the flesh. He's perfect. He's a miracle worker. He proclaims salvation from sins. And he conquered death. And this is problematic for many Jews of the time who thought that the Messiah would be a political or geopolitical ruler coming to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. Jesus did so in a spiritual sense, but he did way more than that. His reach goes far beyond the Jewish people. So this reigns true for us as well, because Jesus was so much more than what Israel was looking for. We are still benefiting from the vast richness of God's grace 
through Jesus Christ. Most of us in this room aren't born into Jewish lineage. We wouldn't consider ourselves from that family tree of old. Yet we are, because Jesus was more than what they expected. Continuing with verse 5 in our text today, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason was, has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So Paul and his companions are able to convince some that Jesus in the truth is the truth, but others not so much. Sounds again similar to the world we live in today, right? And it's interesting the words that were used. Um, every once in a while, uh, the translations in the scriptures sound like words that we use today. So uh, they go to the marketplace and they get some bad characters uh, and mobs. Now, my kids are into Minecraft. You might have kids or grandkids that are into Minecraft as well. It's a video game. There's mobs in the video game, and that's what I was thinking of. There's a mob coming, right? And um, they stir up this trouble. And it sounds a lot like how we try to get people riled up and on our side today as well. Maybe not you personally in this room, right? But that's a tactic that our culture uses. You, you want strength in numbers, regardless of whether they believe in the thing you believe or not. If they're on your side, you have more power. And so they go to the marketplace and they stir up bad characters and mobs. And they go and capture Jason, who was housing Paul and Silas. And then they go on to make these outrageous claims against them. Now, these people particularly hadn't been all over the world. They'd made some travels, yes. Um, and they weren't trying to unseat Caesar from his throne, but they were calling Jesus king. Because he is. The, the king, the Messiah. And there's another message in this for us today as well, I think. Uh, sometimes when advancements are made in the kingdom of God, people resist and stir up trouble. Isn't that the truth? If you've ever spoken with um, people in full-time ministry or in missionaries, it seems like when there's great things going on, there's also a lot of other things getting stirred up. And I think that that's maybe a tendency of humanity, uh, but that's also the active work of the enemy, okay? So there's different reasons why this can happen. Sometimes when advancements are made in the kingdom of God, people resist and stir up trouble. And sometimes when we are faithful to Jesus and the great commission that he's given us, his church, others don't understand and they try to work against us. Maybe not even out of malice, but out of a lack of understanding. I think these two realities of a sinful and broken world are often what keep Christians from being bold and acting boldly for Jesus Christ. I mean, how many of you want to stir up trouble? There's a few of you I know that do. But generally, how many of us want to avoid controversial things? Even important things, just because we don't want to offend somebody or upset somebody who might think or feel differently. 
We do that all the time. I do that all the time. I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful or that we shouldn't be humble and compassionate when we get to sensitive things. Rather, I'm saying that we often shy away from doing bold things in our walks with Jesus because we fear other people. Paul and Silas show a boldness. Peter shows a boldness. Stephen shows a boldness. These people we've read about in Acts have shown a boldness. That the work of the gospel is more important than what other people think. There have been many times in history where standing on the truth of Jesus has not been popular, right? And there's certain areas of this world and even this country, and there's certain cultural spheres where it's very much not popular today. I know some of you have shared stories about that from your own lives and vocations. But I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus is worth living for, even in those areas. God has not made it up to you or up to me to control the actions of others. But he has invited you and he has invited me to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He's invited us to do something, not avoid something. He's invited us to be faithful to his call and obedient, not to fear what other people might think. Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior. And all that who believe in him are not going to perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel. And friends, the world needs this message. Even, even the areas of the world and the areas of our lives where it's not popular doesn't mean that the gospel shouldn't have a presence there somehow. Maybe starting relationally. The world needs the truth of Jesus Christ. And we need to remind ourselves every single day of this truth as followers of Jesus. The gospel text this morning, the brief passage from John we heard, um, some people after hearing Jesus' teachings, they, they turned away. They stopped following Jesus. Maybe you know people um, who used to be in this room on a Sunday or used to, in your families or in your lives who've encountered something or some teaching of Jesus that they just couldn't handle and they've walked away and Maybe sometimes it's too hard. It doesn't give us a very specific reason why some of these disciples turn back. Maybe it's just hard to hear. Maybe it was something they just didn't believe. Maybe some of them thought that following Jesus was too inconvenient, that it was going to cost them too much. Maybe they'd already decided what they thought was true and they weren't willing to listen to Jesus. All of those reasons could be reasons that we encounter that in our lives as well. But this didn't stop Jesus, did it? Didn't stop him from doing what the Father had called him to do. Paul and Silas didn't let the anger of some dictate their lives of following Jesus and proclaiming that he was actually the Messiah sent from God. And we as God's people should not dictate our value or our actions based on those who do not believe, but on the one that we believe in. Which means as followers of Jesus, we should reason with others when we can reason. There's opportunities to do that. You know, this is one of those spaces here 
um, on Sunday morning where many of the people here have a high view of the scriptures and we want to learn and know it more. And as a pastor, I want you to learn it and know it more, to be rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. So reason with others when we can reason, yes. Sometimes we're not on that level with somebody and we should love and bless others when we can love and bless them. And, and honestly, that's everybody. We can love and bless everybody whether they're follower of Jesus or not. It's one of the things that really set aside the early church and how countercultural they were willing to bless those who were from outside their flock and fold and belief system. And I think we should continue to grow in Christ and make Jesus the Messiah of the world known to all. There's, there have been times in history and there'll be times again where boldness is really needed. And I pray today, I hope today that you see yourself somewhere in this story. Maybe you're, maybe you're becoming bolder as you read these words. One of the reasons why I would encourage you to be in the scriptures daily. But I hope we see ourselves growing. I hope we see these lives that are lived out in Acts. Not just, not just the ones who are on an itinerary going from town to town. That's not most of our callings. But this eagerness to experience the kingdom of God and to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. May that be our lives too. Let's pray. Lord, um, we, uh, we confess to you, Lord, that we are not often bold. Some of us may be bolder than others, God. We're in different places. We have different experiences, Lord. Some of them not fun when it comes to standing up for our faith and our beliefs. Lord, I pray this morning, God, that through your Holy Spirit, we would find um, a place of hope when it comes to what we're living for in Jesus Christ. That this isn't something we need to um, put under a rug or hide under a bushel, Lord. This is, this is our lives. This is our message. This is who we are as children of God. And this is the mission that we have as a church. To proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah to the world. And so, Lord, would you fill us, Lord? And if we have past experiences coming to our minds that are negative, Lord, I pray that you would heal us, Lord. I pray that we would um, have a restored understanding that our value comes from you, God, and not from what other people think about your gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would grow in our boldness as individuals and as a church to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, to follow in his footsteps, and to proclaim to the ends of the earth that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen.